When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Inner Source Healing Podcast, the program about healing from toxic abuse. My name is Deborah Ashway. I am a licensed clinical mental health therapist and also a licensed clinical addictions specialist. But I have also been where you are now and have experienced the devastating effects of toxic abuse. It has been a long journey through the path of healing, but when we finally awaken from the trance that is so easy to fall into around toxic people, life can be absolutely amazing. It's like you can finally breathe and live and experience life in full, vivid, extraordinary color. And I want to help people get there by healing from the dependency, the codependency, the trauma bonding, and the abuse. The healing process brings us through those long-standing false perceptions that held us back from experiencing a more fulfilling and meaningful life. I am thrilled to have a very special guest with me today. I would like to introduce my friend, Nicole Kerr. She is the talented author of the book, You Are Deathless. This profound work dives into the complexities of near-death experiences based on her own experience. And the book offers not only a fascinating exploration of the topic, but also a roadmap for healing and resilience. In this episode, we have the privilege of talking to Nicole about her insights, experiences, and the transformative messages embedded in her book. Welcome, Nicole. Oh, thank you so much. What a beautiful introduction, Deborah. I'm so grateful to be on your show today, and I hope I will be of help to your listeners on their journeys and roads of recovery. Well, I'm so grateful to have you. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, Can you share with our audience the inspiration behind writing your book, You Are Deathless? Yeah, of course. Um, When my memory came back, I was in a crash, a car crash when I was 19 and pronounced dead at the scene. And so I didn't, the only memory I had was bright white lights. And then 20 years later, almost my memory comes back. And in that memory, I was told to tell people by spirit, by an angel on the other side to not be afraid of death. And so my inspiration comes from that message and feeling a responsibility to carry that message, uh, to people. And the best way I know how to do that is just telling it my own story. And so I thought writing the book would be the the most efficient and effective and hopefully transformative process for people that they could read it or it's on Audible now. They could listen to my journey and hopefully it would be effective in, in healing them and that they wouldn't actually have to die to learn the lessons that myself and other indie ears have had to learn on the other side. So it took me 13 years to write it. And 
writing actually helped heal me. Um, and then when I did the audible, actually, I just did that and released it in May of this year. Um, I have to tell you, that's a whole different experience. And I went back into therapy as a result, because when you're reading your own story, it really does something to hear yourself go, oh, my God, I really went through all this. And then to listen to yourself tell your own story, that's even more powerful. So um, it's been quite the journey the last 40 years. And I will tell people healing is not linear. So please don't expect it to be. And um, that's a that's a lesson I've had to learn. And I think Western culture, we falsely give the expectation that things can be healed in a linear fashion. If we just do A plus B, C is going to be the result. And uh, my journey certainly hasn't been that way. And everyone I've talked to that's is on a healing journey. It's not been that way for them either. So uh, let's just dismiss with that right off the bat. It's not going to be linear. I always say that too. I agree. It is not linear. You go a couple of steps forward, then you got to go back and reinforce, then a few steps forward and then back. And I, it's just kind of all over the place, actually. And then you get tied in a knot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> how do your experiences and the things that you've learned, how can that help people heal from toxic abuse? What unique perspectives does that bring? I think in terms of abuse, what I realized in my life reflecting on it is I grew up and I didn't even know it in an abusive environment. My dad was a Marine. He uh, was dogmatically positioned, meaning his way or the highway. Uh, I lived in Mississippi growing up, the Bible Belt. So we spent a lot of time in church and there is such a thing as spiritual abuse. And that was something I really came to terms with when my memory came back that the concept of God that I grew up with uh, was a, a false belief system. And this may be a alternative point of view for some of your listeners. But when I went to the other side and remember God was love, God was not duality, God was not you know, loving and forgiving and protective on one side. And then there were all these rules. And if you broke them, you were a sinner, you were bad, you were going to be judged, you were going to be shamed, the wrath of God was going to come upon you, and you could go to a place called hell and be totally separated from your family. And all that did, because I grew up Southern Baptist and Lutheran. So uh I think God would have even been confused at the different messages each church was giving, you know, but the bottom line is you get raised in fear because as a little kid, you take things literally. And of course, you don't want to be a bad person and you don't want to be separated from your family or from God. And so we don't, we form a people pleasing identity, at least a, a lot of us in the South do. And that may help us during our younger years survive, but it really becomes a self-sabotaging identity as we um, grow up and become adults and it doesn't serve anybody. You lose your voice, you lose your ability to have your own opinions because you're constantly pretzeling yourself to meet the expectations of someone else. And most of the time that doesn't even work and you wind up really unhappy and miserable and disappointed and deflated and so forth and so on. So when I talk about abuse, um, my dad was the type that we knew the rules and if we disobeyed them, we were going to be punished. And his type of punishment was whippings with a belt. 
And what's really weird growing up is you think other kids are getting treated the same way. You don't know any different unless you get outside of your bubble. And we stayed pretty much in a bubble with your church community, a church school and, you know, uh, the neighborhood. And so what I realized is that is abusive now, you know, to be uh, physically abused, but it was also emotional. Um, I was never taught to think for myself. I was told what I was going to do and what I needed to do. So I never individuated and became my own person. I became who someone else wanted me to be. And that's how I ended up at the U.S. Air Force Academy uh, as one of the first class of women where the crash took place uh, because I was pleasing my father. I had no business, Deborah, going into the military, none whatsoever. And I did nothing in high school to prepare for it. I was not a jock. I was not into planes, any of that kind of stuff. And so to go there and then to get accepted, I was like, oh my God, what have I done? And then when I got there, it was really evident really quickly, I'm in the wrong place. But in my family, quitting was not an option. Failure was not an option. And when you start something, you have to finish it. And so those expectations, really unrealistic, high expectations and not given permission by my parents to say, hey, if this doesn't work for you, Nicole, it's okay to quit. It's okay to come home. But I didn't. And I put up with massive abuse at the academy, mental abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. And it continues to go on uh, in the military this to this day. But back then, when women were just admitted to the service academies, it was it was off the charts because so many men resented women being allowed into their academies. So um so I've experienced that kind of abuse. Um, when I was in my 30s, my memory came back of sexual abuse from an uncle when I was eight. And that made sense to me in terms of why I had issues with relationships and men's anger. Um, so uh, the other type of abuse I've had to heal from is, I would say, spiritual abuse is the concept of God that I had and I feared reconceptualizing that into a loving presence. And even though it, my family doesn't agree with my story and my beliefs now uh, that I've lost, you know, connection to my, my parents because they're religious addicts and they can't believe that that's the truth because they're literally about the Bible. And, uh, and so it's been a very painful uh, spiritual transformation for me over the last 40 years. And I will tell that to your listeners, transformation is not for the faint of heart. You really have to dig deep at unconscious belief systems that are sabotaging you, that are not allowing you to come in and be the being that you were born to be and to learn your sole purpose and lessons that you needed to learn. And if you don't learn them now, I'm here to tell you your soul will incarnate again and you'll replay it in a different way to learn them because it's part of our evolution, our soul's evolution, which is why we're all here. I, I, this is profound. A absolutely. And you certainly have had your share of toxic abuse in so many forms, and it is mind, body, and soul. And you talked about soul loss and from spiritual abuse. Let's talk about that a little bit more and how you, how you experienced that in your near-death experience. 
Yeah, this was a new term for me, Deborah. I actually had not heard about this till 2019. And I there's some symptoms of soul loss. And I really wish I would have known about this much earlier in my healing journey. But when you go through a trauma uh, or just some type of horrific event, uh, parts of your soul fragment or leave you. And they do this in order to protect your soul. Okay. It's a protective mechanism for survival. And the symptoms, there's three of them. I'm going to go over real quick with you. It is, I don't want to be here. Now, when I was on the other side, when I remembered that 20 years later, I remembered I did not want to come back. I could see my body lying in a ditch. Okay. I was dead. Uh, and I was like, I don't want to get back in that body because I knew how much pain and suffering I was going to have, not only on a physical level, but being put back to a state of infancy. I couldn't walk. I couldn't go to the bathroom. I had such massive injuries that I became totally uh, dependent on my parents again to take care of me. So hence developed codependent issues with my mother for having her take care of me at such, you know, these daily activities we take for granted, like being able to go to the bathroom by ourselves, you know, when you can't do that at 19, uh, it's uh, very frightening. It's uh, very scary. You don't know if you're going to ever be able to get that functioning back. So there's, you live in a lot of fear as well, but I didn't want to come back because I knew about all the pain and the suffering. And I was in a place that was absolute beauty and light and loving kindness and the peace that passes all understanding. Why in the world would I want to come back to earth and get back into all this pain? Right? So um, my angel told me that I was going to go back and tell people not to be afraid of death. And I was like, Oh, please. No. Um, so that's the first one. You don't want to be here. The second is this low level, consistent feeling that something is missing. Now, it's interesting to note that many compulsive behaviors or addictions actually fall into this statement. And what happened to me is I did not seek mental health treatment after my crash. Uh, when I got home from the hospital, which was four months later, the doctor did tell my mother, Nicole has been through a massive trauma. She needs a psychiatrist, a psychologist, mental health help immediately. And my mother looked at the doctor and said, Jesus is our psychiatrist. Well, I will tell you, Deborah, Jesus never came down <laughs> or God and sat on the sofa and said, let's process all your trauma here. So as a result of that, of course, your body's going to cope in an unhealthy way to deal with that. And for me, it turned out to be an eating disorder. And in the 80s, it was known as compulsive overeating. And I had no idea why I was doing it. I just know I just was stuffing food down uh, my, my face as fast as I can to just numb myself out. And so with this um, feeling that something's missing, I can now see the link between my compulsive eating and my feeling of emptiness and loneliness and not believing in the God that I was raised with anymore and just not knowing, just a lost feeling. And so the third one is you can't get over it. Something just keeps playing out again and again and again. And for me, I just felt stuck with my chronic health conditions and I had this hyper vigilance about 
above all about keeping myself safe. I needed to feel like I was in control. And I know now that that's an illusion. There's only a certain amount of things we can control in our life. But I was like, I'm driving everywhere. No one's going to drive me because I was a passenger, you know? So as much as I could control, I'm not going out after 10 o'clock at night. I mean, all these rules I put on myself to try to contain uh, something bad from ever happening to me again. And what it did was just cause me to be even lonelier and isolating and fearful. And so those are the three symptoms. And I can tell you that neglecting these hurt, fragmented parts of your soul and just getting on with life led to other problems for me, such as depression. So um, just like any other wound you have, a flesh wound that needs to heal, a mental health wound that needs to heal either through you know, therapy, medication, however, your soul wound needs to be healed just as well. And you can do a somatic uh, soul retrieval, you can do hypnotherapy, you can do therapy, you can call in these fragmented pieces yourself if you feel comfortable doing that. But it's a powerful healing tool that works. And what we are dealing with here is the spiritual, which is the hidden realm. And I'm here to tell you, it's a very real thing. Did that help you understand soul retrieval? And is it is it something that everybody can do? Or do you have to do some, like what you're saying, a shaman, you know, ritual? Or is it something that's more within us? Like, how does that work? It can, you can do it either way. I chose to have a shaman do it when I was I was living in Hawaii at the time, and they can do it uh, long distance. It doesn't have to be done in person, um, and it usually involves uh, their ability to go into places in your soul and to understand, see what's going on, and then to pull that back. And I actually, in my book, go into what my soul retrieval was like, what he saw when he looked at me. And I had a, about a 30 degree V shape because when we die, we all have an energy body. We're all energy. And so when we die upon death, that energy body cracks from the top down and our soul flies out. So my crack was still in like a 30 percent openness in a v-shape so i never had healed that completely up so i was constantly disassociating and wanting to leave my body because i had not gotten that sewn back together and that's something i needed help with i can't i couldn't see that for myself i didn't know that every time i got triggered and went into fear or that part of the amygdala where your fight flight or fear is i would just leave because I would be so overwhelmed with the emotion, usually a panic and fear. So um, I suggest if you don't know what you're doing in terms of calling that back, that you there there are lots of shamanic healers. You can go online and look. Uh, there's hypnotherapy that can help you with that. Um, some therapists are trained in that as well to help guide your soul or do a meditation to help retrieve those soul parts. But it's um, usually I think it helps if you have someone else help guide you because it's such a deep experience and transformative experience. And that is really when my spiritual life took off is when that part of myself got aligned and I was finally in alignment with my my mind, my body, my soul and my spirit, because I had not had a relationship with my soul prior to that. I really didn't understand what my soul was. 
and how to communicate to it and how to listen to it. How do you define soul? You know, that's a great question. And I know there's a lot of different answers to that. But for me and for what I've experienced and read, my soul, your soul is your eternal self, which includes all your live experiences and the whole, what I would call you. So that is basically the consciousness of the person. It is hard to understand because we are in this body and we have a limited um, understanding of this world around us through the sensory experiences that we have. And so it's really hard to get out of this experience of sight, sound, touch, taste, and smell and imagine what what is beyond that or what soul is and how that comes together. But it sounds like it's important for all of it to align. Yes. And a good exercise to do is if you journal to just put at the top of your page, what does my soul want to tell me today? I take that from Lee Harris and just start writing. And if nothing comes, do it again tomorrow. Top of the page. What does my soul want to tell me today? Or you can just internally ask your soul, soul, um, what is it that I need to know for today and help me to receive it? You know, because a lot of times we'll have blocks up. We don't really want to receive it. So to to be open to that, whatever it looks like. And so how does understanding that we are deathless, that this is not the end, that there's more there, how does knowing that help us align our soul, minds, bodies, or heal from all of this toxic abuse in whatever form? Okay. So at the root of it is fear. And that is what I was told specifically to help people not to fear death because in fear, you lose clarity if you think about it. Um, and in order to regain your clarity, you've got to address your fears. And men, many of them are unconscious. We don't even know we're operating with them, but most of our fears are irrational. Okay. They just don't make sense. Um, they're not true. And they come from the existence of limiting belief systems. So we have to unravel what those belief systems are that we're falsely believing. And I think when you, another emotion that often goes with work with fear is worry. Okay. So when you're in worry and fear together, spirit can't get through you when you're filled with fear. Okay. So those of you who are worry warts and live in that state of the sympathetic system dominating, mean you're in fight, flight, and fear, you're not going to be making the highest and greatest and best decisions for yourself because you're making them from a part of your brain that is reacting and is in survival mode. You need to get up here in your prefrontal, your forehead, your prefrontal cortex and get in a, a sympathetic state. And in fear, here's another sign that you're in fear. You want to fix and you want to control other people and situations. And that is a big one for me because I look at my life and I've lived in fear my entire life. The church instilled fear in me as a very young child. My dad instilled fear in me. Then I went to a military academy that instilled more fear in me. Then I had a near-death experience that I didn't remember for 19 years. And I feared for my health and not knowing what it was going to be like. So I mean, that's a whole lifetime of fear that I've had to reprogram and let go of. And fear, you know, it it really can debilitate us. And 
in clarity, if you get into that state of clarity, you realize that everything happens for you, not to you. But you've got to get in clarity and not fear, because if you're in fear, you think everything's happening to you. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty much the whole thing of toxic abuse, isn't it? Where you're being reprogrammed or drawn away from your true self, which maybe that's what our soul is. And so how did writing your book, how did that help you heal? It made me have to, first of all, I wrote it from a really authentic, vulnerable place. And I was told by my guides that you're not writing this book for your family. You're writing it for others. Okay. So forget about what your family is going to think about it. This is your truth and your messages. And we are going to help support you to get these messages out because they need to get out. People need to learn these lessons now while they're on earth and start practicing them. And they're going to have a higher vibration, a lighter uh, transition and it, the earth is just going to be a better place if we could all learn them. And so um, writing this book helped me heal by just being able to, to document what happened to me and to really, I went and interviewed what I call my angels, my paramedic, my doctor, uh, my nurse in the hospital that I was with for four months. And it was amazing because one of them, the EMT, he won the Phoenix Award for bringing somebody who was pronounced clinically dead back to life. And I stay in touch with them. And I I talked to him recently, just past 40 years. And he was crying when I was interviewing him. And he said, you know, you're the only person who's ever come back and thanked me. And it brings me back to gratitude. You know, when we're in a state of gratitude and appreciation, our uh, vibration is higher. Our consciousness isn't higher. And, you know, death is a hard topic. Okay. I'm not, I'm not negating that, you know, but it's something we need to prepare for just like we prepare for marriage. We prepare for childbirth, you know, all these transitional moments in our life, but we don't like to talk about death and it's scary. It brings up uncomfortable feelings. And the truth is it's going to happen to everyone. We never know Deborah, when our last day on earth is going to be. And if we all actually lived with that awareness, we would be more present and we would live in a more meaningful and deeper and connected way. We truly would if we knew that that would be our last day. And I want people to understand I'm not negating the human part of feelings that come up when someone dies, um, the loss, the grief, all of that. That's important that you work through all of that. Um, the pain, um, you know, we all have to compassionately and carefully hold that for other people. But the cosmic context is benevolent and extraordinary. And this is what I'm saying, the bigger picture here. And if we understand that bigger picture is that our soul lives on, we never die, we're never alone, we're not judged, that may be a new one for people. You're not going to be judged on the other side. So if you could learn to not judge yourself here on earth, man, and not judge your other people, your children, your spouse or anybody, think about how different life on earth would be if we could just not judge one another for politics, for race, for any of this stuff, because you would replace it with love, love of yourself instead of judgment. 
but we are programmed from an earlier age to look at what's wrong with us, not what is right with us. And we get spiritual amnesia when we're born. We forget that we're these perfect souls, these radiant, glorious, everlasting souls. And I think that's really important. If you could do one thing today, take the word should out of your vocabulary. That's a shaming word and quit judging people. Start being aware how much you're judging people and pull it back. And especially if you're judging yourself and replace it with some kind of love, even if you just put a heart over your center of your heart and say, I love you. I'm not going to judge you. You don't deserve that. And be compassionate to yourself. Those are the kind of lessons we have to change. Um, And to know that everything and everyone is connected in this world. We're all energy and what someone is doing is affecting someone else. And, you know, it's, it's, shared resources, shared energy, shared space, that love really is all that matters and is the source of all that exists. And that is God. There's nowhere God is not. And so when we look at that, how can we be more loving to ourselves and therefore more loving toward others? And it's not a cliche. It is the truth because on the other side, the two biggest themes are love and oneness. Beautiful. Um, What kind of advice do you have for people? Because being human is hard work. It doesn't matter what condition you're in. It is hard work for everybody, but especially those that are like you have suffered through toxic abuse and traumas. What advice do you have for people that are at the end of at the end of their hope? Yeah. And I think you have to realize that that's coming from a spiritual wound when you want that. That really is one of those uh, those symptoms is you don't want to be here. So if you can start diving into what is your concept of God, what is your belief system? Because more, your beliefs about God shape your relationship with death. We came in here to learn a lesson. And when my crash happened, my contract with soul contract that I came in with was rewritten at that point. And at that point, it was about not pleasing my family anymore, not getting caught up in generational uh, traumas, dramas, and all that. Let that go, heal that, heal the ancestral wounds, and move forward as a light worker and a soul being for the greater consciousness of uh, humankind. You know, having had several near-death experiences during that time in the hospital, I would say an awareness for all humans that we are love and oneness, to remember that, to not lose hope that at your core, at your soul, you are truly love, you're perfect, and we're all one. We're all in this together. Um, Hence, everyone and everything is connected. We need not forget that. And we need to awaken ourselves and get out of this trance that we put ourselves in, uh, whether it's compulsive activities or binging Netflix or whatever it does to distract us and to awaken to ourselves, to our truth and to start treating Mother Earth, one another, and all sentient beings with respect and equality. And remember that you're sacred you're divine and you are beauty beyond belief at that soul level to connect with that soul. I really believe that that will help in your healing journey. Do you think that it's possible by doing that and by aligning yourself with your truest self and the self-compassion 
and letting go of some of the programs, you know, that includes, well, fear, because that's absolutely gripping. Do you think that um, in, instead of doing a soul retrieval, is it possible the soul that comes back through that? Um, you, my experience is you have to invite those soul parts back into you. Okay. It's just like with the angels. Um, when I was on the other side, I heard two angels communicating and they said that they were willing, wanting, and eager to help all of us here on earth. But we have to ask for help because we have something called free will. We have a choice about everything that we say, think, and do. Okay. And that will show up in our life review. Um, and they want to help us, but we have to say, angels, please help me. I need your help today with like the interview with Deb. What do I need to say to to her so that it helps people um, that are listening to this? You know, I ask them for, for everything, a parking place. I know people laugh at me with that, but I get a parking place every time I ask. They're not going to let you down. The answer may not look like you think it's going to look like, and that's what you've got to be open to. But we all have at least one guardian angel. Several of us have multiple angels around us at all times, and that's why we're never alone. We just can't see them because they're not in a human form, but they are there in the spiritual uh, realm. And just like with people who have passed, their spirit there is alive. You know, that is what animates the person that gives them that life force and chi energy that you hear about. Um, and that's what continues on, uh, on the journey. So ask for help from your guides, from your angels, from your uh, deceased loved ones, from the ascended masters, they're all there to help us and they want to help, but they're not going to interfere unless it's an emergency. Like in my case, it was life and death and they came in to save me. So start that relationship and that dialogue to start asking for help from that realm. Can you talk a little bit about your near-death experience, like how you perceived it, how it felt to you? Describe it a little bit. Um, we, with our limited experiences here on earth it's hard to imagine it's like it's like naming a new color that that is with you know outside of our range of the spectrum of what we can see and and trying to imagine what that is yeah and there are actually more colors than in the crayola color box uh, you're exactly right on the other side there's colors that we have not uh we have no idea what the brilliance of these colors are but they're there and you have to remember you're not in physical form you're in soul or energy form so you get everything transmitted through vibration and telepathy um and so it's not like the angels up there were talking in english and i remembered it in english it's like i got it transposed and then i'm able to articulate it in english and it it's i don't know how it happens but it does but yeah i also want to for people who may not understand the term near-death experience, um, Dr. Bruce Grayson, he's a leading researcher in this field. He typically refers to it as a real mystical, profound experience that people report when they're close to death or they experience death. And it's interesting to note that there are most common in patients who survive severe head trauma or cardiac arrest. So in other words, conditions in which you die and stay dead unless somebody instituted emergency medical procedures to help you. And some experts now estimate at least 10% of people have had near-death experiences. 
But for me, my memory didn't come back for almost 20 years. But I will tell you, no two NDEs take the same shape, but there are common themes through all of us. And the, the one that is probably the most common is this indescribable, brilliant white light that many people talk about. It can be a tunnel. It can just be, um, it, it doesn't hurt your eyes. It doesn't, it's not like a deer in the headlight. It's, to me, that is God. That is, you're wrapped in this brilliant light of God where you're, and I talk about it in my book. Um, this is how I said it. Um, Rays of brilliant white light flooded me from all sides. Streams of light cocooned me, wrapping every part of my being in a chrysalis of soothing ways. Instead of the pain of impact, I felt rocked and held. This was bliss, but this was all I remembered about the accident for 19 years. Um, so I, when I flew out the windshield, that is when my soul uh, left my body. I never hit the ground. And that typically will happen with a lot of NDEs. Your soul will fly out before you actually hit the ground or experience the pain that would come from that. And then I was pronounced dead at the scene and I was clinically dead. They estimate around 10 minutes while they were waiting for first responders to get there. And then they did CPR for 20 minutes the entire time in um uh to get me to the local community hospital because this was out in colorado springs and i will say when i was told i was coming back this is really cool the only sign of life the emt could get on me uh was a sternal knuckle press okay so they had me covered up with a blanket he wanted to check the victim himself he couldn't get any vitals did that procedure and my right pupil dilated and have you ever heard of the phrase, our eyes are the window to our souls? Yeah. Okay. So Deborah, at that moment when he did that and my eye flickered and my pupil dilated, my soul came back in and then they could get a blood pressure on me of 60 over zero. Now that's pretty much life and death because normal's 120 over 80. So they were just trying to keep me alive and get me to the hospital and try to stabilize me. And it took them all night, the surgeon and the team to stabilize me. Then I went through four months in the hospital and just a really up and down journey. Uh, I tried to leave two more times uh, because the pain was just overwhelming. I had a code blue on one operation where my, they called the time of death. They told my parents I'd passed out away. And I remember leaving my body. I'm like, I'm not staying for this anymore. And my angel James came back, caught me, says, you're not going back to the other side. So I, I know I'm here for a reason and we're all here for a reason. And I guess that's the other hope that I want to share with you. Everybody is you came here for a reason. You decided that there was something you could offer here to help raise the vibration of planet Earth. We all chose it. Do you you said you had several or a few more near-death experiences after that one. Were they all similar? Um, I know I it wasn't like I went all the way over to the other side. My angel caught me uh back in the light again and sent me back. So I didn't have that experience of being on the other side where I was just in that overwhelming sense of peace and love and brilliance and beauty um, and didn't want to come back. And there, the, the guides were over there and angels and, and 
a lot of people that have NDEs often say they see a deceased loved one on the other side. And I had never had that experience. I just, in my book, I talk about him as Casper, the friendly ghost. But a year ago, August, just after the book was released, I started, I was, I was meditating and I smelled cigar smoke and nobody in my house smells, uh, smokes cigars. And I'm like, what in the world is that? And then I heard this Nicole. And I was like, "Uh Oh, (laughs) who is that? And um, it was my grandfather on my paternal side. And he told me he died at age 58 from a massive heart attack in the middle of August. And here it was the middle of August. I was 58 years old. And he said to me, now is the time for you to know that it was me who came to save you. And he could see all the abuse that I was enduring and uh, that I wanted out. And I couldn't just quit uh, because of the shame and the embarrassment and the humiliation. I just couldn't do it. So this was the way, a horrific way, but it was the way my soul chose to get out. Do you think that if you could do it all over again, if you could go back, knowing what you know now about how you're being operated by your schemas or the cognitions or the conditionings that you've learned from for example, your upbringing around very rigid rules and your religion and people like your dad, would you do things differently? Yes, 100% I would do things differently. Uh, I have my voice now. And so finding my voice now, I don't care what anybody, whether it's my father or uh, you or anybody else says, it's it's like, this is my truth now, and this is not the right place for me to be. So I'm quitting and I will figure out where I need to be my life plan and I'll move forward in that direction. Uh, so yes, after unwinding all of these limiting belief systems and uh, values that weren't mine. And, you know, I I've come into my own finally, and I have my voice and my self-confidence back to know that this is my life and I get to choose. And I'm not here to please another soul. Uh, I'm here to please my own soul. What do you think the outcome would have been? Oh my goodness. Uh, I would be a transformed person because uh, I would have ended my relationship with my father right then and there at that moment when he said, fine, then you go be on your own. Uh, So I would have worked my way through through that uh, the rest of my life without any uh, relationship at all with him, which would have been an interesting uh, twist of things. But I would have been more independent. I would have had more self-esteem. I would have not lived through others wanting to be someone who I wasn't, you know, and I would uh, have less fear in my life. So I would be making decisions more consciously and with clarity. Do you think that fear that you had about your dad, specifically just your dad right now, is that gone? Yeah, I'm delighted to say after so many years, I'm at peace with that. I really could see it when I told him the story about my roommate and how she admitted that it was her fault and she quit when he flat out told me that I should have walked back. I was still made a bad decision. I just went, excuse me, you asshole. How dare you? Instead of being compassionate and, you know, sympathetic and loving, he never has been that way with me. You know, it was always looking at how I screwed up and telling my siblings, which I have three, this is what happens when you don't listen to me. So it's taken me a long time 
to really uh, let that go because I was raised where family is everything. And I lived alone for 20 years and I didn't think anybody would ever want to take, would marry me because of all my scars and my mental health and all that. So it's been, you know, for me to meet my now husband and him to have my back and show me a different way of love, an unconditional way has been a total gift. And that's another hope that I hope people have out there is you never know what's going to a miracle or positiveness or blessing is going to come your way at any moment. We just never know. So don't give up. Thank you. And that's all the time we have. Um, Nicole Kerr, author of You Are Deathless. Thank you so much again for joining me on this very thought-provoking episode of Healing from Toxic Abuse. Your wisdom, your personal experiences have shed a lot of light on the path toward resilience and recovery and healing. And it reminds us that we are deathless, that there is more. And I have read her book and I'm telling you, I loved it. And I found it not only captivating, but extremely inspiring. So to my listeners, I encourage you to explore her book um, for a deeper dive into this transformative message that it holds. And Nicole, can you just share a little, just uh, some contact information, how people can find your book or find you? Yeah, it's on Amazon. I did the Audible version. It's on Kindle. It's on Barnes and Noble. You can get it at your independent bookstore as well. They'll order it. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram and LinkedIn. And my website is www.nicolekerr.com. I'll send you the first chapter for free. If you use it as a book club, I will get in on your book club meeting, join it through Zoom and happy to answer any questions. But I want to start open up the discussion about death to prepare for it, to talk about what your concepts are and to bring it out in the open in a positive light. The whole subject needs to be transformed and brought out as a positive transition for all of us. Thank you so much again. I thoroughly enjoyed this. I will include the contact information in the notes of this podcast. Please check out her book, You Are Deathless by Nicole Kerr. Thank you for listening to the Inner Source Healing Podcast. It's important to give yourself the self-compassion that you deserve and remember that your feelings matter. If you want more information or you want to contact me, visit my website at www.innersourcetherapy.com. That's www.innersourcetherapy.com.